Anyway, hold your Bible up. If you have it, let's go ahead and make this confession of our faith. Ready? Say it with me. Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You sound great. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to 1 Samuel chapter number 16 and then also 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Just two verses. The first one, 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then over in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of the Philistine, the giant Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. Today, as we continue in our series, All In, which is God's word for us for 2023, I want to minister to you on the subject, cultivating an all-in heart. How many of you know that really to God, what matters most is the heart? We're all going to have problems in our flesh, but the way to overcome your flesh is to get your heart strong, right? How many of you know God wants to control our heart inside, and he wants that to then manifest itself on the outside? To God, that is the most important thing. He doesn't want part of your heart. He wants all of your heart. And if you're going to defeat the giants in life, you need to have an all-in heart. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. How do we cultivate an all-in heart? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Would you minister by your grace and by your power and by the presence and teaching and guiding of the Holy Spirit? We pray that he ministers to the heart of every person and transforms us further into the image of Jesus. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, these two verses come from the life and the story of David. Everybody knows the story of David, whether you come to church all the time or whether you come every now and again. The story of David resonates with us. Uh, it's something that we seem to all be drawn to, no matter who you are, and for good reason. There's a lot of great uh, principles in the story of David. For instance, it resonates with us because David is an unlikely hero. Shepherds don't become kings, but David did. And when we hear that, it just, it just gets us excited to, to believe that all of our dreams, no matter what they are, no matter how impractical they may be, can come to pass. David has the odds stacked against him. He's small and Goliath is big. David's got a slingshot. Goliath's in armor from head to toe. He's got a spear that is bigger than David. And yet David wins that battle with the odds stacked against him. And that resonates with us because in life, we will all encounter circumstances in which the odds will be stacked against us. And David's story reminds us that if, if God is for us, who can be against us? That when God is by our side, or more accurately, when we are standing by God's side, there's nothing that we cannot overcome. And so that connects with us. We love the story of David because it reminds us that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And that too connects with us in the deep recesses of our soul. And these are just a few of the things for why we love the story of David so much. It fuels us and it, it gives us the encouragement to keep grinding, believing that no matter how difficult life gets, that God can turn it around. And here's the thing about the story of David. We're supposed to love the story of David. 
Matter of fact, there are more chapters in the Bible dedicated to the life and story of David than any other Bible personality, Bible person other than Jesus. There are 66 chapters in the Bible dedicated to the story and to the life of Jesus. The next closest person in the Bible is Abraham. He's only got 14. David is also mentioned 57 times in the New Testament. Only a few times is Abraham mentioned in the New Testament. In other words, God wanted us to love and to connect with the story of David. And for good reason, because David is an Old Testament type and shadow of Jesus, our Messiah. So the story of David is really not to kind of get us encouraged about how we can defeat the odds, how we can beat the giants in our lives, although those are great takeaways. The story of David is to lead us to the ultimate giant slayer, his name is Jesus, who didn't just slay a giant in the physical, but slayed the giant of sin so that you and I could have everlasting life. And so the story of David is, David is to point us to Jesus. And we see all the similarities between the life of Jesus and the life of David. David was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. David was the king of Israel. D- Jesus is the king of kings. David was betrayed by a close advisor named Ahithophel who uh, partnered with David's son Absalom to try to overthrow him. Jesus obviously was betrayed by one of his closest allies, Judas. Both betrayers hung themselves to death. Both men were pursued by kings before their ministry started. David was hunted by Saul before he got on the throne. Jesus was hunted by Herod before he, right after he was born, before he was able to start his ministry. David was anointed king over the house of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. David used his harp to cast a demon out of Saul. Jesus used his hands and his word to keep to cast demons out of many. David was 30 when he became king. Jesus was 30 when he started his earthly ministry. Samuel was told to go to Bethlehem in order to find Israel's next king. The shepherds went to a a little stable in Bethlehem to find the king of the universe. David delivered Israel from the fear of their enemies. Jesus delivered us from the snare of Satan. Both were affirmed by people who were born miraculously. Samuel was born of a barren womb and he's the one who anointed David. Jesus was confirmed by John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world who was born of a barren womb. David's lineage was promised to have the throne forever and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And so we are supposed to love the story of David because David is supposed to point us. And by the way, that's the whole purpose of the Old Testament, right? The whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point us to this Jesus. And so we have all of these these ways in which man tried to get right with God all by themselves, right? It always came up short. If you read about any uh, patriarch, no matter how great they were in the Old Testament, they always came up short. And the message is this, that in and of ourselves we'll always fall short of the glory of God. And that's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus because he's the only one that's perfect. And when we put our faith in him, we get credited with his life, credited with his death and made right with God and also credited with his resurrection, amen? And so we're supposed to love it. And that's the primary message of David. It's pointing us to Jesus. But there's a second message, and it's the message that I really want to focus on today. And that is how important David's heart was in order to him being used by God. David was selected not because he had extraordinary gifts, although that 
was definitely true. He was selected because he had an extraordinary heart. David is the only one in all of the Bible who is given the title, a man after God's own heart. Saul was the king, but he was not God's choice. You remember the whole story of Saul. Israel didn't have kings until they begged for one. Israel was led by judges and prophets because God was their king. And how many of you know we get into trouble in life when we want something to rule over our lives rather than God himself? God needs to be the king in our lives of everything. He needs to rule over everything. But so many times in life, we're like Israel. We want other things to rule over our life. And so what did Israel do? They begin to beg for a king. They said, we don't like being like, you know, different than the other nations. All the other nations, they have a king. They didn't realize that they were set apart for a reason because they were special. Can I encourage you this morning and let you know, don't you dare be a carbon copy when God has made you an original. You cheapen yourself by trying to be like everybody else. Be who God made you to be. Not who your flesh wants you to be. That's the message of the world, right? You just be you. Whatever feels good, whatever seems right, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happy, just be you, be you. That's not what I mean by be you. I mean be the you that God has created you to be because God has created you to be a masterpiece in every way. And so they didn't like that. They said, you know, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And they begged and they begged and they begged for a king until finally God gave them what they wanted. How many of you know that can be a dangerous thing? So many times in life, you and I, we, we want what we want, right? And we'll go after what we want at all cost. And, and we'll even catch a little attitude when we don't get what we want. We'll even like boycott God a little bit. You know, if God doesn't perform like we want him to perform, if we've prayed and God hasn't answered our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers, we're like, okay, God, I had enough for you. You didn't really do what I want you to do. As if, everybody say as if, as if God exists to serve us. Right? As if God doesn't perform like we want him to perform, we bail, we boycott, we're like, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm not going to pray anymore, I tried it, it didn't really work, as if, right? And so, and so they, they finally, they're begging, begging God, we want what we want, we want what we want, we want, and God gives them what we, what they want. And that's a dangerous place to be in, because I've learned something, that if God doesn't give me what I want, then I'm cool with that. Because I'm like, God, you know better than me. You know me better than me, God. You saw me while I was being fashioned in my mother's womb. You know me inside and out. You know my rising up and my laying down. You know what's good for me and what's going to kill me. God, you know what will keep me close to you and what will take me away from you. So if you say no, God, I don't lose my glow. I trust you, God, that if it's no, it's no for a reason. It's no because you have my good intentions in mind. We need to get to a place in our lives where we trust God when God says, this ain't for you. Move on. And by the way, anytime God says this, ain't for you. I promise you God's got something better for you if you will just trust God and trust in his timing. And so they beg for a king. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he gives them Saul. But Saul was not a king after God's heart. Saul was, Saul was a king. He loved, he loved the fame. He, he loved the palace. I mean, he loved the title. He loved the prestige. He loved everything about it, right? But he wasn't necessarily in it because he had a heart for God. And so it came time when, when he kept showing that his heart was not for God, that God said, time's up. Can I, can I just encourage you with a bit of wisdom? You better steward what God has given you for the glory of God. And here's the reason why. Don't play with God. We play with God too much. 
Don't play with God because God is the one who sets up and God is the one who brings it. And I'm talking to myself. When I was putting this together, I said, please, Lord, help me to have this kind of heart where I don't play with you, where I realize that just as easy as something comes in life is as easy as it can go in life. And God, you are the sustainer of all things. And if I'm going to keep the blessings that you have in my life, I've got to submit those blessings to you. I'm not going to play with you, God. And Saul played with God. And God said, time's up. And then he told Samuel, he said, go tell Saul it's over. It's time for a new king. And so Samuel, first Samuel chapter 13, verse number 14, he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you, commanded you. David was selected, notice, because he had an all in heart. God is seeking a man after his own heart, Samuel told Saul. He made mistakes, David. This doesn't mean David was perfect. An all-in heart is not a perfect heart. How many of you know there's nobody in here that can be perfect? Nobody can. But can I tell you, let's not use that as an excuse to just be anything but perfect. Right? You get around church people, right? And church people, they hear that. And they're like, yeah, that's right. No perfect people, Pastor. That's right. I sinned this morning. I sinned last night. I'm going to sin later today. And they know God loves me anyway because the grace of God is... That's not what this means, guys. Right? We shouldn't use the grace of God as a license to sin, but we have to understand that the grace of God is there in our lives because none of us can be perfect. We are always going to fall short in life. And David was like that. David was somebody, he, he sinned big time. But David had something on the inside of him. He had a heart. His heart was always smitten when he sinned before God. Matter of fact, one time after he sinned, it was his big sin, the, the Bathsheba sin, Psalm 51, verse uh, number 10. Here's how he prays. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. This was after he had sinned with Bathsheba and he realized, and listen, sin always overpromises and underdelivers. How many of you know that to be true? Sin truly is fun just for a season, but the bite of sin is not worth the pleasure of sin. The pleasure of sin is a moment. The bite of sin can last a season, and we don't want that to happen in our lives. And David, he went with the the flesh. He went after Bathsheba. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was looking at something he wasn't supposed to be looking at, and he went in, all in. By the way, if you feed your flesh, your flesh will oblige you. People tell me all the time, it's hard for me to overcome sin. Cut, cut off the food source. Cut off the food source. Let me say it again. Cut off the food source. Only reason why your flesh is strong is because you're feeding your flesh. But if you will starve your flesh, I wish I could get an amen from somebody today. If you will starve your flesh, you will kill your flesh. And the reason why your spirit's not strong is because you're starving your spirit. And God wants us to reverse that. God wants us to feed our spirits so our spirits can dominate our flesh so that we don't give in to these things that cause our heart to become polluted. And David got to this place where he sensed it. He said, this thing overpromised and underdelivered. I thought this was going to make me happy. I thought this was going to bring me what I wanted. I thought, by the way, it's not about our happiness. Let me say it again. It's not about our Does God want you to be happy? Of course he does. Any good parent would. Does God want you to be full of joy? Of course. But how many of you parents want your kids to be happy and full of joy doing the wrong things? How many, how many of you want a happy junkie as a kid? How many of you want a happy prostitute as a kid? 
Right? It's, it's not about what makes us happy. It's about his holiness. And can I tell you something about the holiness of God? It'll make you happy. For godliness, the Bible says, has great gain. Great gain. It'll make you happy. And David has gotten to a place in his life where he feels the conviction. He feels it. And he, and it but his heart, he says, God, I need my heart to be right. God, my heart has begun to wander from creating me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. And notice what he says. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What happens is, you know the most miserable people in all the world? It's believers who live in sin. Because you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, right? And the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, he ain't happy when you're going all in on sin. See, I wish we would go all in on God like we go all in on sin. When I got saved, I mean, the devil cringed. You know why? Because I was all in on sin. And the devil said, if he goes half in on God like he's gone all in on sin, he will be mighty for me. Can we reverse it? Instead of going all in on the world, can we go all in on God? Can we can we taste and see that the Lord is good? Can we see what God can do to somebody who gives their life completely to him? David had an all-in heart. Saul strayed. And we see this comparison between the heart of David and the heart of Saul in the greatest of all David's stories, the story of David and Goliath. Everybody is fearful. Nobody wants to go out and face Goliath. Nobody wants to fight him. And David, he he gets before Saul, and he said, let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine. He said, I'll go out and fight him. In other words, David said, I'll I'll go all in. And, and, And Saul, you know what Saul said? He said, well, here's my armor. What do you mean, here's my armor? You're the king. Don't give your armor away. Put your armor on. Put your big boy pants on and go out and fight the giant like you're supposed to because you're the king, right? But instead, what he did is he passed the buck to somebody else. You know why? He wasn't all in. There was too much for him to lose, but David was all in. David was like, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I might have to lose. I don't care if the odds are stacked against me. I'm going all in, and guess what? I'm betting on God in the process. Can we get anybody in God's house who will bet on God some of the time and so David goes all in and you know the story David defeats the giant and 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 we love that and we all want to know how can I how can I defeat the giants in life and by the way I have a whole book on that your giant is going down but that's really not my subject I want to teach you uh, the keys to defeating your giant I want to teach you what is behind your ability to beat the giant? I believe there's a question behind the question, not how can we defeat our giant, but why did David defeat the giant? And the answer is real simple, because David was all in. Because here's the principle we've been looking at. If you go all in for God, God will go all in for you. But here we, we don't know that principle as well as we think, because we think we can have our toe in for God, and God goes all in for us. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you can't be half in and half out. You just can't do it. He said, I don't operate like that. Remember with Jesus, there's no fine print. It's not like, you know, I'll tell you about all the good stuff up front, and then wham, I'll hit you with the fine print before. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, it's all in right from the very beginning. Nothing else can have the throne over me in life. That is biblical Christianity. And when we're all in for God, it's not that God is trying to reign on our parade, but when we're all in for God, God goes all all out for us. And so how did David get this heart? How did he get to the place where he was a man after God's heart? By the way, what an, an incredible thing to be remembered for. A man after God's heart. Can I speak to the men for a minute? The greatest thing that you could ever be for your family, 
the greatest thing that you could ever be for this world is somebody after the heart of God. Because the problem with our world today, if I could just break it down real simple, is that we don't have enough men who are after the heart of God. So we don't have enough examples. We don't have enough examples of what it means to truly be strong. We don't have enough examples of what it truly means to be a good dad and a, and a good a good husband. We don't have enough examples to, to of what it means to be a good person morally who loves the Lord and so on and so forth. So we got all this mess out there that is confusing the tar out of people. I was looking on uh, internet the other day and I was watching some shows the other day. I think there is 50 different terms for identity now. 50! There's so much confusion because the people who God has called to be leaders are not being leaders. Man, it's time for the men to go all in. Amen. God has given us responsibility to be an example. David, David had an all-in heart. How did he develop that all-in heart? Number one, you develop an all-in heart in how you handle rejection. We've seen that God removes Saul and he tells Samuel, he says, go to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And he says, and when you get there, he says, ask Jesse to bring in his sons and you're going to anoint one of his sons. And so Samuel arrives there and you know the story. Jesse has eight sons, but he only brings in seven. And the first son that he brings in is Eliab. Eliab is the oldest. And, and the picture of Eliab we get is that he's, he's a uh, fine stature. He's tall. He's got muscles. I mean, he carries himself well. He looks like a king. He acts like a king. And Samuel takes one look at him. Look at what it says. First Samuel chapter six, verse number 16. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel judged based on what he saw on the outside. And guess what happened? God rebuked him. The very next verse says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I've rejected him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, outside is, it's not that outside is not important because, you know, forgive me for saying it this way, but all the ugly people love this verse. <laughs> They're like, you see, it doesn't matter that I don't comb my hair. It doesn't matter that I don't brush my teeth. It doesn't matter that when I look in the mirror every day, I've got nose hair the size of weeds coming out of my nose. And I did. It doesn't matter. God doesn't, God doesn't look at the outside. You know, what's, what's the big deal? So what? I pulled my clothes out of the hamper today and just put them on and came to church like a wrinkly mess today. So what? What does that really matter for? You're being so carnal as a Christian. That's not what this scripture means. Matter of fact, we're going to see that in just a moment. But what it does mean, it does mean that the inside is much more valuable than the outside. And I love this, that Samuel, who's a prophet of God, who is the only prophet that ever spoke anything that, that 100% came to pass, never did one word that Samuel spoke, spoke ever fall to the ground unfulfilled, right? I love it that he picked wrong. We have about 80 people that work for us in the ministry, and there have been times over the years where I've hired wrong. And the reason why I've hired wrong is I've looked only at the resume, I've looked at the resume and said, check, 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 check. And, and, and all the times I hired wrong, I knew I was hiring wrong. Because I would hear something go off on the inside of me and the Holy Spirit would say, but, but if you hire this person, even though they seem to be great at all these things, their heart's not going to be with you. Their heart's not going to be with you. 
And I override the voice of the Holy Spirit because the resume looks so good. But God, they check this and they check this and they check this. And here's what God encouraged me to tell you. He said, to every person who hires, don't just hire for the resume, hire for the heart. Right? To everybody who's dating out there, don't just date for the resume, date for the heart. Right? Can I tell you, Judas's will come into your life, but don't hire a Judas because she didn't check the heart. Right? Jezebel's will come into your life, but don't marry Jezebel because she's 36, 26, 36, because, oh, here she comes. Watch out man she'll chew you up she's a man eater don't hire slick willie because he's got muscles and looks good in skinny jeans right hire uh date date slick willie because slick willie's heart is in it he loves you otherwise he's going to hurt you inside is more important than the outside it's the heart that matters jesse then shows samuel the other six boys after Eliab, and samuel tries to anoint all of them and the oil won't flow. And Samuel's kind of confused because he's like, I know God told me to come here, but, but none of these sons, none of these seven is it. And he says, you got anybody else? First Samuel chapter 16 verse 11. And, and, and Jesse says, there remains the youngest. And there he is. He's keeping the sheep. Jesse doesn't even think enough of David to call him in from the field as a potential candidate. In other words, David has got to know he's an afterthought. David was rejected. Some scholars believe that he was rejected because he was illegitimate. Some scholars believe that somehow, some way, Jesse, um, David was not the byproduct of Jesse and David's mother. One or the other went out and had an affair. Psalm 51, verse number 5, David writes, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin, my mother conceived me. In sin, my mother conceived me. Now, we don't know this to be sure, but we know that this much is true. For some reason, David was rejected by his father. He was not his father's choice, but how many of you know he was God's choice? Can I tell you something? It doesn't really matter in life who receives you and who doesn't receive you because God sees in you what other people will never see in you. Stop trying to make other people like you. Stop trying to convince other people that you're it when they don't want to see what what you have. Believe that God sees the best in you. God saw a king in David when other people only saw a shepherd boy. And I love the story of, of the David, the statue of the David. I've told it to you before, but way back when when Florence, Italy wanted to have a statue to grace their city, they hired this sculptor and they brought this big piece of marble. It was huge and on transport, it fell and it cracked. And the sculptor, the artist said, I can't do nothing with it. Get me another piece of marble. Well, the city said it's too expensive. We can't. So that piece of marble, cracked piece of marble, laid in the warehouse. Nobody touched it for years. They tried to hire somebody else. He gave it a go. He couldn't do nothing with it. It sat in the warehouse again for years until this little known artist came along and he said, I could work with that cracked piece of marble. And he started to walk around that cracked piece, piece of marble over and over again for days. And people thought he was a lunatic. But he was seeing something in that cracked piece of marble that nobody else saw. And from that cracked piece of marble, he began to chisel and chisel and chisel. And emerged from that cracked piece of marble, the statue called the David and the, uh, the person who made it, Michelangelo. That's how he became who he was. Can I tell you that God is a better artist than Michelangelo? And so even if you have some cracks in you along the way, if you will give yourself fully to God every way, God will take the broken parts of you and God will make something special out of you. He was rejected, but not by God. And see, watch what happens 
After he's rejected, he gets called in anyway. First Samuel chapter 16, verse number 11. And the Bible says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So they sent and brought him in. And watch this. Watch what it says about David. He was ruddy with bright eyes. And watch this. What does the next thing say? You can see it up on the screen. And, and what? I, I thought how you look don't matter. Well, if it don't matter, why did God say he was ruddy? bright eyes, and good looking. See, the story of David, when it said God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but only on the heart, is not to discount the outward appearance. We should be the best that we can be. Obviously, not everybody can look like me. Sorry for that. I'm just playing. Obviously, not everybody can be what they picture in magazines and all of those kind of things. But everybody can be the best us that we can be. And our bodies, and I'm talking to myself when I say this, we need to steward them as well. But if we would put as much energy into our spirits as we would our bodies. I mean, think about this. People spend billions and billions of dollars each year trying to get their body right. And they complain if they got to put an offering in the church bucket. Look at that. It went over like a lead balloon. And so it says he was bright eyes, he was good looking. One version says dark and handsome. Another version says a fine appearance with handsome features. It's not that the outside doesn't matter, but God wants us to know the inside matters more, right? The heart of a person, the heart of a person can make a handsome person look ugly or an ugly person look but less ugly, right? Anyway, you get, what, you get what I'm saying, right? The heart, the heart matters. The heart matters. Excuse me. Here's the part I really want you to see. David was bright eyes. David was overlooked, but he walks into the presence of the family who just rejected him. And the Bible says he's got bright eyes. Have you ever seen bright eyes on a depressed person? Have you ever seen bright eyes on somebody who's full of envy or jealousy or bitterness or hate or unforgiveness? No, the eyes are the window to the soul. But notice when David walks in, knowing that he was rejected, the Bible says he has bright eyes. Why? Because he handled rejection right. And here's the reason why David handled rejection right. Because I think David understood something that all of the older people in his family didn't understand. And that's that if God has something for you, nobody can take it from you. And see, so what happened is he came in from the field, and as soon as David walked in from the field, God spoke to Samuel and said, Arise and anoint him, for he is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil, poured it over David, and the oil that would not flow over everybody else, all of a sudden started to flow over David. Can I remind you of something? If God has something for you, it doesn't matter who gets there first. It doesn't matter who's more educated. It doesn't matter who's better looking. It doesn't matter what they have that you don't have. If God God has it for you. God will hold it for you. David understood that. And so David was able to handle rejection because he was like, listen, you don't hold my destiny. You don't have nothing to do with my destiny. My destiny is in the hands of God. And as he handled rejection the right way, God was working in him a pure heart, cultivating a pure heart in him. Second thing we have to do if we're going to cultivate a pure heart is we have to know how to handle success. Not just rejection, but success. So now Samuel has poured this oil over David in the presence of his entire family. How many of you know God will make a table for you in the presence of your enemy? Now notice what David doesn't do, right? David doesn't go, how y'all like me now? 
How you like me now? Look at I'm dripping with the, with the anointing, right? Look at this, all this oil over me. Ain't no oil on none of you. Y'all rejected me, but God set y'all straight now. See, some of you are waiting for God to set people straight. You're like, yeah, you're going to get yours. You're going to get yours. You're going to get yours, right? We should live for God to set people straight. It doesn't matter. Leave, leave them behind. Leave them out of it. Just let God do what he's got to do in your life. So David gets the anointing on him, and his father says, go back into the field and send the sheep. This is crazy to me. If I was David, I would be like, yo, didn't you see Samuel? Don't you see the oil? I'm glistening right now. I don't see no oil on you. Don't you know that kings who have just been anointed don't go back into the field and sweat with the sheep again? We're chilling in the palace. What you mean go back into the field? But that's not David. David understood something. That even though he was anointed to be king, in his eyes, he was still small enough to tend sheep. Here's my question for you. Can you stay faithful to God after you've experienced success? After you've been successful, do you still remain connected to God and more dependent upon God than ever? I've learned something. The more success you have, the more dependence on God you need. Because success has a way of making you forget about God. Success has a way of tricking you into thinking you're just that good. But listen to what the Bible cautions. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell therein, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when in your heart is then lifted up and you forget the Lord your God and you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. But you shall remember that it is the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the power to get wealth. In other words, everything that we have, everything that we hope to be, it is because of God. And God wants to know, can we handle success by being faithful to God after he blesses our life? Because that's where your heart is made and molded. Never forget what God has done for you. Never forget how God has blessed you. Never forget how God, where God has taken you from. Never forget that who you are is, is because, and what you are is because of the grace of God. Never forget that God is the one who anointed you for your assignment. He is the one who made a way. He is the one who believed in you when everybody doubted you. He is the one who gave you strength. He is the one who brought your business to you. He is the one who opens the doors that no man can shut. David was the type who said, I'll never forget that I was a shepherd before God put his hand on me. I like what the Apostle Paul said. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. How come you're successful? Some people may ask you. The grace of God is your answer. How come you have good health? Your answer, the grace of God. Why is your marriage and family blessed? The grace of God. Why are you financially blessed? The grace of God. Why are you full of joy? The grace of God. How did you get that promotion? The grace of God. How did you rise out of nowhere? The grace of God. How did you make it through that? The grace of God. What do you credit most for your success? The grace of God. It is by grace. We are what we are by the grace of God. Notice what he went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Can I ask you a question? What are you doing with God's grace? My spiritual dad 
before he prays for anybody because God uses him in, in a miraculous way, very literally. He'll always ask people to say, what will you do if God heals your body? That is the question, isn't it? That is the question, isn't it? It's not what will you do for a Klondike bar. It's what will you do if God heals your body? What will you do if God restores your marriage? What will you do if God gets you out of debt? What, do you do? what will you do if God blesses your business? What will you do if God breaks that addiction off of your life? What will you do? Is your answer, well, well I, will, I will give back to God more than he's ever given to me? At least that will be your heart's cry. You can never do it. Or will it be, you know what, I'll just receive it and keep on about my business. See, what will you do? And here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. In other words, here's what I did. Because I realized that everything I am and everything that I hope to be is based on the grace of God. When God gave me something by grace, I grinded with that gift until I got everything out of it that God entrusted me and gave to me in my life. What are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? And that's point number three. How do you develop an all-in heart, you've got to steward the gifts that God has given you. Notice what happens with David. He goes back into the field. He's been anointed king. By the way, it took him 15 years from the time he was anointed to the time he, he became king. 15 years. You know why some people never experience their dream? They quit. Listen, can I just tell you something? Very rare do you find instantaneous successes. They're overnight to us but they've been grinding for years and 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 years. David was grinding. He goes back into the field. 15 years. And what's he doing in the field? He's perfecting his gifts. How do we know this? First Samuel chapter 16, verse number 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful playing on the harp. And it shall be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. There's that handsome again. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. By the way, did you notice, let me just say something about this distressing spirit from the Lord, because people get theologically hung up on this. Why would God send a distressing spirit? How many of you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you? Can I see your hand? How many ever feels distressed when you're in sin? How many of you know that's God? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need to turn. You need to go in another direction. Even though Saul's heart was far from God, God was still trying to bring Saul's heart back. 
And he wanted David to go in there and bring the presence of God to Saul because Saul wouldn't go to the presence of God. Oh, this is so good. Saul wouldn't go to the presence of God, so God brought the presence of God to Saul. Why? Because he wanted Saul to understand the only way to get rid of that distress on the inside of you is to get into the presence of God. God is so good that God will bring his presence to you when you will not go to the presence of God. When you run, when you hide, when you get caught up in your sin, thank God he brings his presence to you so you could just experience that in his presence there is fullness of joy. In his presence there is joy forevermore. What is God trying to do? He's trying to get that stuff off of you. And so even in that condition, David goes and he plays the harp. But did you notice why David got called out from the field to the palace? It was because he could play a mean harp. That's the reason. Notice what it says. He says, he was skillful in playing, mighty man of valor, man of war, prudent in speech, handsome in person, and the Lord was with him. In other words, all these things mattered. Can I give you some advice? There are certain things in life, opportunities that you'll never get if you don't speak right and dress right. Let me say it again. Certain opportunities in life you'll never get if you don't speak right and dress right. What does the Bible say? David was prudent in speech and handsome, and he was handsome in appearance. We need to understand that the world connects with us through the outside. God works on the world through what is inside us. And you know what we need to do? We need to be mighty in both of those things so that God can use us in every single way possible. So that's why when you show up for a job interview, you don't show up in sweats. Why? Because you're presenting yourself, right? And the Bible tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We are supposed to present everything to the Lord. Lord, here's what you gave me. And God, I'm going to work everything that you gave me, God. Every single thing that you gave, I'm going to work it for your glory. That's what God wants. But notice why David gets called to the palace. He could play a mean harp. And somebody, by the way, so he was perfecting his gift. Imagine how many harp lessons that took. This was a harp. You know, this wasn't a guitar or a violin. You could bring a guitar and a violin anywhere. Imagine if you lived in Manhattan and you were a harpist. Imagine taking the harp on the subway with you. Imagine taking it on a, I mean, that's a grind right there. You gotta have commitment to doing that, right? When I was little, my mom tried to get me good at the accordion. Like, mom, do I look like the accordion type? I mean, give me a guitar or something like that, you know? But that thing was a lug. You lug it around everywhere you go. And everybody know you were the nerd that played the accordion, right? Imagine David with the harp. But David was committed. Imagine he's going out to tend the sheep. He's got to get everything ready to tend the sheep. And he brings his harp with him. Why? Because out in the field, he was perfecting the gift that God had given him. If you are ever going to reach your destiny, you must perfect the gifts that God has given you. Do you know Spider-Man couldn't be part of the Avengers until he learned how to work his webs? Superman wasn't super Superman until he learned how to take off and land without killing himself, right? He had to learn to how to control his x-ray vision. The Hulk had to learn how to control his anger, right? Wonder Woman had to train as a warrior before she could go out there and fight. All these people became superheroes because they perfected their gift. What was David doing in the field? He was grinding at his gift, to get good at it. A lot of times we think, wow, man, they're just so gifted. Most people are, most people are only gifted because they grind. When we look at somebody doing make look easy, 
We think, man, I wish I was like that. You, you could be like that. How? Grind. I see this thing on social media all the time about these, you know, laborers and so on and so forth. They charge somebody like, okay, 9000 to build a deck. And the person's like, okay, cool, because the person thinks it's going to take two weeks. Right? And all of a sudden, the person goes in there, builds a deck in one day, goes to collect the check. They're like, okay, I'll take my 9000 Yeah, but it only took you one day. No, no, you don't pay me for what I could do in a day. You're paying me for what I've learned to do well over a lifetime. And the reason why I could do it in a day is because I grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded. So that's why you're paying me. And see, we don't understand that. And so we look at people and we're not faithful in the grind, right? We need to work our gift long enough until it becomes good. And David was. And so David got called to the palace because he was good at playing the harp. And somebody saw him. Remember what the servant of Saul said? Well, I saw this kid, and he could play a mean harp. I said, bring him to me, bring him to me, bring him to me. By the way, you never have to go looking for opportunity when you are good at something. Opportunity will come calling for you. Just get good at it. He goes to the palace because somebody was watching him. Shout out to Michael. Always feels like somebody's watching me. Because somebody is. Somebody's eyes are always on you. When you're a child of God, first and foremost, you should make sure, I'm, am I representing God well? Am I, somebody sees me. This happens to me sometimes when, you know, I'm not on. I put on the sweats and go to the store on a, on a Monday. Tired. You know, get some wise, bad attitude clerk. And want to give him, you know, the business. And all of a sudden I... One time I did, and somebody from the church was right behind me. I was like, oh, sorry, I got in the flesh. No. <laughs> you got to realize, somebody's eyes are always on you. And here's the thing. When you work in your gift, God will make sure the right eyes are on you so that the right opportunity can open for you. But the eyes that are always on you, whether it's a person or not, are the eyes of God. And God is watching to see how you are stewarding his gift because it is during these grinding seasons of life where God is testing our heart. God is testing our heart to see if we will do it as on to him when nobody is looking so that we don't crash when everybody is looking. God wants to see if we'll do it for him or are we doing it for the the fame that the particular thing or the blessing that the particular thing will give us. God wants to make sure our heart is in the right place and the time where the heart is tested is when nobody else can see what you are doing. And so I want to ask you today, what's happening in your heart? What's going on deep on the inside of you? Are you cooperating with the enemy to cultivate a heart that is far from God by the doors that you are opening up in your life? By the stuff that you are allowing to infiltrate your mind and your eyes? Or are you cooperating with God to cultivate in you an all-in heart? Are you cooperating with God in those grinding seasons. Grinding seasons are not just for spectacular things. Grinding seasons are for ordinary things. You know what? Most of life is ordinary. And I don't mean that to rain on anybody's parade because I thank God for the supernatural and I don't want a really an ordinary life. But most of life is ordinary. It's day-to-day stuff. It's the grind of being a mother when nobody's looking. It's the grind of being a father 
when nobody's looking. It's the grind of being a committed spouse when nobody's looking. It's the grind of doing your job when your boss is not present. It's those little grinds, the grind of being a student, making the right grades, the grind of starting your career. All those things. That's where your heart is made. It's right in those seasons. And so God is asking, what's happening in your heart? What's happening in your heart? Are you cooperating with Him to cultivate in you an all-in heart or with the enemy to cultivate in you a heart that is distant from God? God's calling your heart back to Him today because you can never defeat the giants in life with a half-in heart. But you will defeat every giant in life if you go all in for God because if you go all in for God, God will go all out for you. Can you say amen? Would you stand to your feet?